0: Hey, it's your fellow revolutionary, and these are Tales of the Revolution, with Jason Vrieke. Storytelling with a purpose, to magnify the real Jesus of Nazareth, who entered history, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross as the acceptable sacrifice to pay for our sins, and then rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. Proving and demonstrating his power over sin and death. This episode is entitled, Under the Milky Way. Learn more at talesoftherevolution.com I have never been a fan of Easter egg hunts. Maybe this stems from a strange experience I had when I was a kindergartner. I remember being in class And watching the sixth graders hide eggs all over the kindergarten playground. From where I was sitting, I could see some of these kids. They were only 12 years old or so, but at the time, to a kindergartner, the sixth graders looked huge, like adults. I recall sitting during rug time and seeing one of these sixth graders outside, and he was jumping near a ledge at the far side of the playground. First, it was one then another, and before long several sixth graders were standing over by this ledge and jumping. Weird I thought. When the easter egg hunt had begun, I remember finding very few eggs. I think I found one or two. In those days there were some colorful plastic eggs, and also some hard-boiled eggs that had been dyed various colors. A few of my classmates had an egg or two, maybe a few more than that. I remember frantically looking for eggs, and finding so few. In fact, I vividly recall running over where I saw some bright colors, but they were simply empty plastic eggshells. I was so disappointed, having found so few eggs, and I didn't find any real eggs. The fake eggs I did find, I remember having some pretty bad jelly beans inside, black licorice flavor and the like. I remember seeing one of my classmates with a real hard boiled egg, eating it. And when I asked him about it, he said, this is the only one I found. Why had we not found many eggs? Toward the end of the day, I remember seeing our teacher over by the ledge where the sixth graders were jumping up and down and she was scolding them, visibly upset. I don't remember exactly what the teacher said to these 6th graders, but it was something to the effect of, why did you hide the eggs where the kids couldn't see them, let alone even reach them? These older kids had been jumping up and hiding eggs on the ledge that was nearly 10 feet high. They were practically throwing them up there. A few months later, I remember riding away from school in my dad's car, and I glanced back at the building, and what did I see on the ledge? Colored eggs. I don't like Easter egg hunts. When I was in kindergarten, the sixth graders hid most of the eggs up on a ten-foot ledge. Hmm, Easter egg hunts, the ledge, is there a connection? When I think of Good Friday, I almost always recall one of the first ones I experienced as a young pastor. I was employed at a radio station owned by a megachurch, but I was also the college and young adult pastor of a smaller church that was associated with this megachurch. I recall going to the noon communion service at the megachurch, and I was to teach the Good Friday service that night at my smaller home church in San Juan Capistrano. A friend of mine had asked me to pick him up from the Bible College, which was over an hour away, and in bad traffic, it could be even worse. After communion, my friends and I had attempted to pick up our other friend, but traffic to the Inland Empire is a phenomenon. Southern California listeners will understand, especially residents of Orange County. The freeway was a parking lot, and we literally moved about a mile in nearly an hour. So we looked at our watches and realized we were running out of time, so we turned around and came back. In those days, very few of us had cell phones, and our friend out at the Bible College in Murrieta did not have one, so I couldn't call him. I emailed him when I got home in the hopes that he would check it. But I didn't have much time to prepare for the Good Friday message I'd be giving in just a couple hours. So I prayed and studied the scriptures. I listened for the voice of the Lord. I prayed some more. And then I went to San Juan Capistrano to deliver the message. One of the most vivid descriptions of Good Friday in the Bible. And some of the best descriptions of it are not actually found in the New Testament, but they're found in Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years prior to the day. And also Isaiah 52 and 53, roughly 700 years. And it's amazing how Bible prophecy, especially Psalm 22, will speak of the crucifixion. He says, my hands and my feet were pierced. About a thousand years, not only before Christ was ever born or crucified, but before crucifixion was used as a death penalty. It's amazing. I think God knows what he's doing. And he writes prophecy history in advance. And tonight we're going to take a look at Good Friday, the night Jesus Christ, the day Jesus died for our sins, that we might have life. You know, I grew up as a nominal Catholic. We didn't go to church much, but I understood a little bit. But I never fully understood why Good Friday was Good Friday. People would say, yes Jason, Good Friday is the day Jesus Christ died. And I thought, what's so good about that? This innocent man was betrayed, beaten, and murdered, that's good? But I didn't fully understand it. What we're gonna see tonight, Good Friday is not only good, it's necessary. And it is indeed good. It reminds me of a trip I took a couple years ago to New York to share the gospel, and I was speaking to this Islamic man, good guy, I'm sure, but he disagreed with me, he didn't think Jesus was crucified, and immediately this light turned on, I call it the Holy Spirit, call it what you want, I said, sir, if Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross, we're all in a big deal of trouble, we're all in a lot of trouble if he didn't die on the cross, and we're going to see why, number one, of course, what the Bible tells us, we all have sinned. Every single one of us. I used to think I live by the Ten Commandments. I'm a good guy. I'm not a sinner. But when you read the Bible and its own testimony of the law, the Ten Commandments or any other commandment found within the pages of Scripture, it says that the law was given that every mouth would be stopped and that all would become guilty before God. And there's evidence to support that. Take the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. I'm already guilty. We all are. We've loved other things. We've loved God less than we ought to, not with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're already guilty. We're sinners. It's the truth. We're all sinners. So then why did Jesus Christ have to die? Well, wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. Death is what? Separation from God. Eternal separation. It says that after we die, the judgment comes after that. And John, and also Daniel, wrote of this event. He said, there I was. I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God. And books were opened, and they were judging them according to what was written in those books. It could have been the book of the law and the book of the deeds of your life, and they don't quite match up, do they? I've lied. I've stolen. I've cheated. I've disrespected my parents. They'll tell you that. And we're guilty, all of us. The wages of sin is death eternal separation from God. But it also says, the free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Savior. It says in Leviticus and elsewhere where it's quoted that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And that's what happened on Good Friday, the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. The Son of God, not only that God the Son, God in human form. Isaiah chapter 52 on through 53 we're gonna go through this rather quickly look at verse 13 because I just love reading through these scriptures and seeing the magnitude of God's love for us he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's how your sins are taken care of look at verse 13 of Isaiah 52 speaking prophecy 700 years in advance Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. The word extolled means lifted up, as in on a cross. He was extolled. And he will be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. He was beaten beyond recognition prior to even being crucified. He took that for us as well and his form more than the sons of men, which is an idiom to explain that he no longer looked human by the time they were done with him. So you may often hear it said that The Passion of the Christ was a good movie, but I could still see that it was Jim Caviezel, and that he still looked human. In other translations, it says you could scarcely recognize him as a human being. That's how much... He loves us. He said greater love has no one than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. And it says that scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet perhaps for a good man would one even dare die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, enemies, alienated, Christ died for us. It's hard to find a passage in the Bible about God's love where he doesn't also talk about his sacrifice. That's the source. That's how you know he loves you. How does he know he died for you? People don't normally do that, especially for sinners, for an enemy he died for. We were enemies alienated from God by our sin. Let's press on to verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. And verse 1 of chapter 53, I think, is a very important verse. He asks the question, who has believed our report? Who has believed it? Because the apostle Paul says it's by grace through faith, through believing that you're saved. Not of works. It's a gift of God lest anyone should boast. He freely gives us eternal life when we have faith, when we believe in his report. We weren't there 2,000 years ago. We believe by faith in what Jesus Christ did, what God reports to us, who has believed our report. We don't go to heaven by attending church or tithing or praying. That's not how you get to heaven. Who has believed our report Have you placed your faith in the solid rock? That's how a man is saved. When you place your faith in that blood that cleanses, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. They practiced that in the Old Testament days, but in Hebrews, we learn that it's just a covering and that Jesus Christ's blood, that spotless lamb without blemish, his blood has healed us. Look at what it says. I think it's amazing. Going forward in chapter 53, look what it says at verse 4. This is great. He says, Surely he, that is Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Another translation could read, He was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities he died for you and he died for me in Daniel chapter 9 speaking of the Messiah it says he shall be cut off or executed but not for himself he died for others extending his love paying for those sins because God loves us God loves you God loves me all of us and he wants a relationship and it's only attainable by having our sins covered that separation that middle wall of separation he took down when he died on the cross that's why there was an earthquake that rent the fabric of that curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of us but now we've been brought near by his blood through our faith in him and today is such an important day yes he died for us but 3 days later As the song said, death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead on the third day to prove that he has power over death. Everyone dies. And those who believe in Christ, in his work on the cross, will, yes, die a physical death unless we see his return, but we will be raised again. That same power that raised him from the dead will also raise us. And we'll live in eternity with him. But that's the only way. Now I studied comparative religion in college and none of them stack up to the statements of Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. But he extends this gift, this loving gift. But what's the deal with a gift? If I'm handing you a gift, what do you have to do? You've got to receive that gift. It says, as many as received him, God gave the power to be called the sons of God. We're in God's family when we receive Jesus Christ. And I know many of us here have, and there's a whole lot of people in here right now who could just testify to the changing power of Christ, the resurrection life that we have here, but also there's this life that we can't even begin to think about. I'm a young guy, and I think, wow, Lord, I've got a lot of potential. But he showed me we don't have potential on this earth. Our potential's in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. When we're there, Paul couldn't even write about him. He said it would not be lawful for me to write these things down. It's going to be so magnificent, but there's only one way. The blood of Christ. It's There's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. It happened. But who has believed Our report. This can be a good Friday if you've never made that decision. This can be the most important day of your life. You can be forgiven of every single sin. The wages of sin is death. One solitary sin will get you straight into hell. You'll say, What am I doing here and why am I in this handbasket? Because that's where you'll be. One sin. All I've done is told a white lie. Well, sorry, a white lie is still a bloody red sin. And you're done. You're done. But he extends it to you, this gift. He says, I've died on the cross to pay for your sins. I've been resurrected to prove my power over death. And all you got to do is believe my report. All you've got to do is believe what I have told you, what's been recorded in these pages that we so glibly call the Bible, the eternal word of God. It's all laid out. Basic instructions before leaving earth we must know and that's what this book centers upon the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ and how you and I can enter into that relationship it's called being born again you're born once physically you must be born spiritually if you want to end up in the spiritual realm after this life so every religion tackles how do I have a favorable afterlife but religion is how can I, as a human being, reach God? Notice what God has done. He sent Christ to the earth. He sought us. He came to us. We're not trying to reach Him. We can't. He's infinitely holy, and we're sinful. But instead, He came in the form of a man and died on the cross. He came to our level. He meets us right where we are. And His blood is sufficient for any sin we have. It's been stated that he bled from seven places on his body, two hands, two feet, his side, his back, and his head. Seven is the biblical number of completion because his blood is enough to cover any sin, any sin. It doesn't matter how much you've done or what you've thought because his head, there was a crown of thorns twisted upon it. So any thought you've had, or maybe those things you don't want to face, his face was more marred than any one in history. Or maybe the things you've done with your hands, you've stolen or you've hurt people. His hands were pierced with nine-inch nails, possibly half an inch thick. Maybe you're saying, no, I can't be forgiven. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've seen. His feet were pierced. Wherever you've been, his blood covers it. Wherever you've been, whatever you've been involved with. Or maybe you've said, I've committed sins within my body, drugs, or an abortion. But Christ says, no, my body was pierced in my side. Whatever sin you've committed in your body, it will be forgiven if you place your faith in my blood. Any sin. Jason, I've turned my back on God so many times. I was offered salvation and I blew them off. I've done it all through my younger years. I turned my back. I didn't want anything to do with God. If God wants to control my life, forget it. I have a feeling that that's what he wants to do. But he says, my back took those lashes for you. A flagellum, leather and glass and bits of bone and possibly metal struck on his back at least 39 times, at least 39 times. And the blood dripped down his legs and the shredded, looking like shredded beef probably or some kind of meat just hanging there. And he says, my back has taken when you've turned your back on me. Everything that we've done will be forgiven if we place our faith in him. He bled. His blood covers our sins, but we have to believe the report like the prophet said in Isaiah 53. You've got to believe it. You've got to make confession with your mouth. And believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And if you've never done that, it's something you need to do. It's the most important thing. It's the only important thing in life. After finishing up the message, I left fairly quickly to pick up my friend from the Bible college. It was late, like 10 p.m. The drive would have taken about an hour and 15 minutes from San Juan Capistrano, but I had never made that drive before. And I had no GPS, so I got lost. I think I got on the right highway, but the wrong direction at some point. And of course, with my luck and lack of planning, I had to pee really badly. So I found a little place to stop off in a small, unincorporated town called Rainbow. And the only place I could find was this little bar. So I parked and darted in looking for the men's room, but I also got to catch an earful of a karaoke rendition of the song I'll Be by Edwin McCain, and the guy singing was getting a decent response from the crowd, so added bonus. After I finished, I walked out and was captivated by the night sky. I was a bit further away from the megalopolis that spanned from Los Angeles to San Diego, and the stars came out to greet me. By this time, I was on track to pick up my friend at the Bible College, so I relaxed. I was less than 20 minutes away, so I took a few moments to enjoy the view. It was funny, I figured I would have been out at the Bible College several hours earlier, but for some reason, due to the traffic and other circumstances, the Lord had me right here, right now, gazing up. In that moment, It was just me, planet Earth, the Milky Way galaxy, and God. A moment that has stuck with me for over a decade. It was something quite peculiar, something shimmering and white. It led me there, despite my destination, under the Milky Way that night. I'm singing for you. Oh, okay. Go ahead. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Hey! Well, it's about that time. The end of the show. But don't be sore. More amazing stories are waiting for you at Talesoftherevolution.com. And remember, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere you find podcasts. I like Beyond Pod, but that's just me. Search for Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeky on YouTube as well. It's a simple static image to go along with what you hear. And while you're at TalesOfTheRevolution.com, be sure to sign up for email updates. If you do, you'll receive exclusive bonus content not available anywhere else. Thank you so much for listening to Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vrieke. This episode is entitled Under the Milky Way. Until next time, glorify the one who created the worlds and the galaxies as you live the revolution.